0: We are continuing our series this summer, actually our mini-series in these in-between weeks before we kick off our fall, where we're going to be looking at um, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ and how we can grow in our relationships with one another and how we can grow as a community following the Lord and serving the Lord together. This summer... I spent a week at Scout Camp, and on one particular day, um, I was able to have the great opportunity of volunteering to serve on the kitchen staff for a day as we ran 780 campers through the lunch line. And so as we had this little uh, assembly line developed, this assembly line to run 780 campers through in whatever it was, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, what have you, we had a person who was taking making meatball sandwiches and they were slapping them on a plate and then they were then getting passed to the person who was putting on tater tots and that was the lady next to me she was the tater tot lady so she was putting tater tots on the plate and then that got passed to me where I got a cookie where I would put a cookie on the plate and then I would pass this out as the masses would come through the line and as we were as people are rolling through there was this man that came through. And before I mention this, there's a, there's a kind of a general rule at camp that if you were an adult, if you made that known uh, when we were shoving people through the line, if you made that known, you were given an adult-sized portion as opposed to a camper-sized portion. So usually most of the adults would say, hey, I'm an adult, hey, I'm a leader. But there's this man, he was probably in his 50s or so, he was coming through the line with another leader next to him, and as he's coming through the line, he says to the lady next to me who's putting on the tater tots, and she, he says, wow, aren't you a cute thing? Can I get some more tater tots? And then she passed it, and the things could go, go, go through. And I looked over at her as he said this, and she was like, what? Right? And it was one of these moments that I was like, what, what just happened? right? I mean, did this guy really just come through here and comment on her appearance, a cute thing, so she could get some more tater tots, right? Generic aura-itis, right? Unfortunately, comments like that are not uncommon. I think any woman in the church would say, yeah, and then some, right? Well, what about in the church? May it not be so to look at here this morning is the picture, a beautiful picture that Scripture gives us of the nature of relationships and how we are called in the body of Christ to relate to one another, particularly to those who you are not married to. Let me also briefly mention before we go into this, if you're here today and you have questions or uh, concerns related to gender dysphoria, I'm acknowledging those concerns, but as we focus on the biblical picture here of a family of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, I'm not diving into that aspect here today and using instead using what the biblical text says in those characterizations. But you think about this guy's comment, wow, aren't you a cute thing? I suppose this comment's not surprising. I mean, everyone's kind of like, oh, really? But nobody would be surprised that somebody would say that we're not surprised that somebody would say that i think in part because we live in such a sexualized culture where our relationships are so sexualized i mean can you think of a tv series a movie a book any advertisement that does not seek to grab a hook or to get people engaged through some aspect of sexual attraction or sexual appeal and on that there are those that are you know talk about You know, love stories and people coming together, dating engagements. But then there's the whole range of advertisements, stories, books, movies, take your picks of things that always have the illicit relationship, the illicit attraction, affairs, workplace, interactions, all these different things, right? Where the sexualization of the relationship is what makes it attractive and what people get hooked into. And so as our media has trained us from very young ages, what happens within us is that we tend, we have been shaped to view every relationship, every relationship with a person of another gender, every relationship as a sexualized relationship in some form or another. And so there is the concern about, is this person a potential mate? Is this person someone to pursue after? Is this person someone who... To be flirted with or to seduce, potentially. Or, within our broader relationships, is this someone to avoid, someone to keep their distance from? And for our teenagers or young adults or college students, there's always a constant tension as they enter into a new social situation particularly as they get older, that every new person they meet of the opposite gender is that every new person they meet, maybe they're not thinking about it at the moment, but every new person that they meet, there is a background tension and question of, is this person possibly a person that I would spend the rest rest of my life in? rest of my life with, rather. Now, on the one hand, our society pushes and strongly pushes and is tantalized by sexualized relationships and sexualized interactions. But at the same time, our society also acknowledges in certain spheres that that's not good, and that even that's potentially wrong. Because if you sexualize a relationship in your workplace, what happens? Well, that's sexual harassment, right? And even the illusion of sexual harassment can get thrown out with charges and accusations. So the antidote within our culture, the antidote to being overly sexualized or to treating people on a sexualized basis, the antidote is to professionalize them. It's to say, we are going to engage on the basis of professional conduct. We are going to engage, you know, there is going to be this barrier, there will be a separation, there will be a bifurcation of life between what I do and who I am individually. And so, sometimes in certain workplaces, you might have somebody who comes in who's new and somebody says to them, well, tell me about your family. Tell me, what did you do those weekends? And the response would be, I don't understand how that has anything to do with my job and it's none of your business, right? The extreme would be to professionalize the relationship. And if you professionalize your relationships, what happens then is that people then either become allies or obstacles, they become allies in the accomplishment of goals advancement of your careers career or they become obstacles so there you have it relationships become sexualized where people are viewed as objects or people to get stuff from relationships where people who are allies in order to accomplish goals and personal advancement or they're obstacles but the apostle paul when we take a look at his ministry he gives us three beautiful pictures of what relationships in the body of Christ are supposed to look like. Models of how we are to view one another and models of how we are to treat one another inside the church, inside the body of, God, body of Christ. The first one of these is how we are to treat one another is to treat one another as siblings in Christ. 1 Timothy 5, 1-2 to states this, Do not rebuke an older man... But encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. How how are relationships to be characterized? Older men as fathers, younger women as sisters in all purity, men as fathers and as brothers we're going to share a number of examples this morning. All of them I have permission to share with you just as an early disclaimer. This past week there was several in our church who were having a Facebook conversation over this comment. Someone posted, why is it that creepy old man, why is creepy old man a persona that we are expected to deal with as women? I don't care how old you are. If you wouldn't say that stuff to your mother or daughter, then don't say it to me. And, if you are saying that to your mother or daughter, that's pretty messed up too, (laughs) right, was the comment. And the pushback is that what Scripture gives us is it gives us a model to understand our relationships. Mothers, daughters, how should men interact with women? As mothers and daughters, as sisters in Christ, fathers and brothers relating to one another. And just to be perfectly clear, related to that comment... For some reason, there is this deep confusion among men in our culture that women like being talked to that way. Just to make it clear, they don't. Um, I think any woman here can give you many, many examples related to that. But let's examine these family relationships for our interaction with each other. Paul says, how are we to treat those older than us? Treat older men as fathers, older women as mothers. You can imagine why Paul would give Timothy this advice. Timothy was rather insecure, a young pastor going into a church. There were lots of problems in the church. He needed to rebuke a lot of people for things that were being taught, including some that were significantly older than him. You can imagine Timothy being really nervous about this, and him gathering up his nerve, and him getting ready just to let somebody have it. And Paul says that's not how it's supposed to be. Treat older men and women as mothers and fathers, that you show them the love and respect that they are due and treat them with the love and respect that they deserve. Well, how about those who are younger? Treat younger, brothers, younger men as brothers and sisters in all purity. That the model here is not a sexualized relationship nor a professionalized relationship, but of a family relationship. And if you consider families in the ancient Near East, your family was everything. It was your reputation. It was your identity, who your family was. And what did family members do? Well, family members sought to promote the good of the other family members. They would help them advance at times at their own personal cost. They would absolutely protect one another's dignity and cover their shame. They would defend each other's reputation. Brothers and sisters would... Love each other despite their offenses and despite their own irritations that they had with them. And Paul says, you are members of the household of God. Therefore, treat each other as brothers and sisters. Support one another, defend one another, advocate for one another, uphold one another, do good for one another. Do so as brothers and sisters. And then he adds, in case there is any confusion, he adds... Treat younger women as sisters in all purity. Younger women as sisters in all purity. Got to spend a week at the beach with my in-laws and my extended family, and for some reason there's this annual ritual where Holly's brother, uh, my brother-in-law, feels the need to at some point try to grab Holly and pick her up and throw her into the ocean. Apparently this is an annual ritual. It never stops no matter how old you get, Right. Um, and brothers and sisters who grew up together, who are related to each other, they do that type of thing for each other, right? But that sort of the Paul's qualification comes in: treat younger women as sisters in all purity, meaning it would not be okay for me to approach a woman in this church and run over and start tickling her, and pick her up and try to throw her into the into the river at the beach house next week, right? Absolutely not. Why? Because younger women as sisters, but to do so in all purity. That you have relationships that are characterized by protecting one another, defending one another, advocating for one another, doing it in all purity. Just as a quick application, another area of application for this, is does this extend to romantic relationships? Does this extend to dating relationships and engaged relationships? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the biblical picture is this, is that until you're married, you're not married, right? There is no semi-married state. It's like being semi-pregnant. You're either married or you're not married. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. So if you're not married to somebody, how should you treat them? Well, you should treat them as younger women, as sisters in all purity, What in particular does that mean? What's the threshold to help understand that, what that looks like in relationships? It looks like this. It's to say, the integrity of your relationship with the person that you are dating and or engaged to, the integrity of your relationship should be of such level that if your relationship ended, you could be the best man in the wedding of the girl that you used to date. Or you could be the maid of honor to the bride who is your friend who is dating somebody that you used to date. That the level of conduct should be as such that you could be in their wedding and that you could celebrate their wedding without shame, without embarrassment, and without regret. Consequently, if your conduct with another person would make you uncomfortable to attend that person's wedding or make you uncomfortable if their spouse found out then you're not treating them like a brother or sister. And your conduct needs to change so that you treat them like a brother or sister in all purity. For the word of God calls us to relationships that are characterized by love, characterized respect, characterized by purity. That we would treat one another as members of the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, siblings in service to him. Another picture that Paul gives of what our relationships are to look like Is that we are to treat one another as partners in Christ. One of the surprising parts of my job, or at least it's surprising to me, is how frequently I need to defend and advocate for partners in the gospel who are female. How often I need to defend or advocate for partners in the gospel who are female. When we first arrived at Cornerstone, this was years ago, obviously, one of Holly's comments was, she said, you know, the weird thing is, she said, when I walk through the halls of the church, men see through me. It's like I'm not even there. They, they look past me, they look through me, it's like I, didn't, I, don't, I don't even exist in the way that, that men interact with me. Another example. We had a wedding in our church um, some time ago. And Kristen, who uh, if you know Kristen, who sings with us, who coordinates and leads all of our worship ministries and music ministries and stuff, is that she was here and she was assisting this family getting set up for the wedding and saying, "Here's what you need to do, here's what you can't do, here's what you need to do with the soundboard and what have you." And the people who were getting things set up for the wedding said, "Hey, um, do you mind if we take the grand piano and pick it up and carry, carry it off and move it out of the sanctuary?" And Kristen said, No, you can't do that. And they said, Well, it's not a problem. We've got four of us. We'll just pick it up and move it out and roll it across the tile. Ka-dunk, 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 right? We're just gonna pick it up and roll it out, and it's not gonna be a problem, and we're just gonna move it. And Kristen said, No, you're not moving the piano. And they said, Well, I really think we're gonna we're gonna do this. Isn't there somebody else that we can ask? So at that moment, Will walked into the sanctuary, he didn't know what was happening. And they were like, hey, do you mind if we move the piano? And Will's like, no, you can't move the piano, and turned and walked out. And they said, oh, okay, end of the issue. Now, that situation was not men who weren't respecting Kristen's position and the authority that she's been entrusted with to carry out her responsibilities. That was women. Those were four women who were not respecting another woman and the job that another, another woman had as a partner in the gospel. Third example, it's not infrequently that Janice, who is our children's ministry director, that she'll be doing something in children's ministry or, you know, we've got a policy change or we're going to change some aspect of the curriculum. And sometimes people will talk to her, sometimes they will not. But if they, people don't like something, they often will say, well, you know what, I'm going to go talk to one of the pastors or elders to see if I really have to do this. Right? I'm going to go above her head. In each of those situations, what's happening is that these partners in the gospel are not being respected or treated by men or women, by both not being respected by or treated by men or women as legitimate partners as those who have the authority to do which, that which they've been, they've been tasked to do. But if you look at the Apostle Paul's ministry, if you take even just a quick look at Paul's ministry, is that Paul was devoted to making disciple-makers of men and women and partnering with men and women to serve as co-laborers in the gospel. Romans chapter 16 lays out a long list ...of his partners in the gospel, co-workers in Christ, he calls them. Here's what Paul describes. Look at Romans chapter 16. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. and I commend her to you that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints... ...and that you would help her in whatever she may need from you... ...for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Phoebe may or may not have, an, have had an official role in the church... But what Paul is identifying is saying, you all know Phoebe. She is a servant of the church. She is a co-laborer with Christ. The other churches know her. She has been generous. She has been a laborer. Please thank her. She's an incredible woman of God. And then he goes on to describe many others. Greet Prisca and Aquila. Prisca being the female here, Aquila being a male name. And Paul describes both of them. He says, they are my fellow workers in Christ. Other translations. They are my partners in the gospel. And he describes them that Priscilla, Prisca, and Aquila risked their necks for my life. That's what she did for him. And she says, to whom not only do I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. These are, here is a husband and wife pair where the wife arguably had the much more visible role. And Paul's saying, greet them. She is a great co-laborer, co-worker in Christ. And then there are many others. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Ejonicus and Junia, probably another married couple, who identifies as my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. That Junia was probably the first female prisoner for the gospel the first female who was put in prison for proclaiming Christ and identifying as Christ. They says, and Paul describes them, they are well known to the apostles in Christ, and they were in Christ before me. Several other men, goes on to describe Trephina Trif- Trif- and Trophosa who worked hard in the Lord, greet Rufus and his mother, who became like a mother to me. Finally greet Julius and the sister of Nereus, In all of these relationships, how is Paul describing them? They are partners with him, co-laborers with him. Of this list, there are 28 people that Paul thanks. Ten of them are women. That is significant in and of itself to describe the nature of his ministry. It's even more significant to recognize that Paul was working with these women in a male-dominated culture in which the testimony of a female was not admissible evidence in court, in which women did not have an inheritance, in which women could not be landholders, in which women did not have rights, and in which women did not have a public voice. And Paul says, these women are my partners. These women are my co-laborers, and they are my co-heirs in Christ. Indeed, that's the phrase that he uses repeatedly to describe all of them. Welcome her in Christ. Priscilla Nicola, in Christ Jesus. He just states this again and again, that the characterization is that they are in Christ, that they are beloved in the Lord, that they are are found in Christ, in the Lord. Rufus, chosen in the Lord, all of these people— is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, changes our relationships. And it changes our relationships from being relationships that have been sexualized, relationships that have been professionalized, relationships where people turn people into objects, allies, or obstacles, and instead says, no, in the church, you are to be siblings with one another. Partners, co-workers, co-laborers, contending side by side for the advancement of the gospel. When I was in seminary, seminary is a wonderful, wonderful place. Seminary is also a really, really weird place, okay? (laughs) And it's just a really weird place. One of the things that was odd about it is it was not uncommon. In fact, there were quite a number of men who were supported by their wives in doing this, there were quite a number of men who would not speak to women. Period. They would not talk to women. And if you ask them about this, they would say with the support of their wife, well, I want to respect my wife and I want to to protect our relationship so I don't talk to any woman who is not my wife. Now, if you are a woman, how does that make you feel? And many of these men subsequently go out and become pastors of churches. And I would just like to say that to my sisters here is that if this has been your experience of Christianity... That you have had pastors who have sought to, who have avoided you, who have seen through you, who have treated you like objects, who have treated you like threats, or people just simply to avoid. I'm sorry. For you are created in the image of God, as each and every person is, is created in the image of God with gifts and abilities to strengthen the body of Christ with gifts and abilities to serve as partners, as co-heirs and co-laborers in the gospel, so that the church would flourish, so that you would flourish, so that the body of Christ would flourish. Biblical commentator Tony Marita, reflecting on this in the same challenge, states, he says, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that complementarians hold extreme positions— and neglect to encourage and empower their women for ministry is because they don't know how to relate to the opposite sex very well. Show me a secure male leader who is either content in his singleness or content in his marriage, and who can have regular conversations with women without awkwardness or without the awkwardness of sinfulness. And I would venture to say that the women in that church have a great shot at flourishing in that environment is that the relationships that Paul models for us and calls us to are not sexualized, not professionalized, but rather we are to be siblings in the gospel in all purity, partners contending side by side for the advancement of the good news of Jesus Christ. The third picture that Paul gives of how we are to view our relationships and how we are to treat one another comes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul says that we are to view and treat one another as new creations in Christ. Here is what Paul writes. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Most of the time when this passage is preached, this passage is tr- talked about as, this, as stating that this is models how you are to view you. That in Christ Jesus, the old has gone, the new has come. You are to view you not as the old person that has passed away, but you are to view you as the new person. You are to view you as the new creation, that you are in Christ Jesus. And of course... Yes, that is a biblical truth, that in Christ Jesus you are a new creation. But Paul, writing this passage, he is describing not how you are to view you, but he is describing how you are to view other people. How you are to view and treat other Christians. Here is what Paul says, let me read it again. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What is Paul identifying? He says, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh. Other translations would have said, you know, we don't regard anyone according to a worldly point of view. What does it mean to regard someone according to the flesh? It means you view them as an object, an ally, or an obstacle. It means you view people on the basis of worldly standards and attributes. You view people on their status, their position, what they've done or what they haven't done. And Paul says, now we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. How did he do that? Well, Paul wasn't a believer, and he viewed Christ as a blasphemer, as a rabble-rouser. As someone who was leading people astray, he viewed Christ according to the flesh, according to worldly standards. But he says, but we do so no longer. Okay, well, if we are to regard no one according to the flesh, how do we view them now? Well, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How do you regard other people? How do you view other people? How do you treat other people? You treat them as they are in Christ Jesus, not according to the flesh, but as new creations. Because on the cross, Jesus took every source of worth. Jesus took every label that we would want to identify ourselves with. He would Jesus took everything that we would want to build our identity upon. He took all of our successes and all of our failures, everything that could identify us, and through his death on the cross, all of those labels, all of those false identities were nailed to the cross. And he rose from the grave so that you would be set free from worldly assessments. So that you would be set free from giving worldly assessments. So that you would be set free to be a new creation in Christ, that you would flourish as a new creation in Christ. So that you would be set free to view other people and treat other people as new creations in Christ, that they too might flourish as new creations in Christ. How would this affect our relationships with one another? If every person you interacted with in the church, you treated as either a sibling that you are advocating for, defending, or working with, a partner in the gospel who you are contending together with in the gospel, or you're viewing them as a new creation, What it means is this, is that as a Christian, I am committed to to viewing you. I commit to view you as you are in Christ and to view you not according to the flesh. I am committed to viewing you and regarding you not on the basis of whether you are attractive or unattractive, on the basis of whether you are successful or unsuccessful. Not on the basis of whether you are smart, athletic, or artistic. I am committed to viewing you not on the basis of what you have done or what you haven't done, not on the basis of what has been done to you or what has been done by you. I am committed to viewing you not according to your status as other people would define it or even as you would define it. I am committed to viewing you not according to your standing in society, but as you are in Christ Jesus as a new creation. So what does this do for each of us? It means that we, in serving together, contending together, we do so not as objects, allies, or obstacles, but we do so as the family of God. Mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, siblings joined together, partners and co-laborers and co-heirs in the good news of Jesus Christ, new creation in Christ. And with that picture, Paul invites us and calls us that we would be a people who contend for the gospel together. Let's pray. Father, I praise you that you give us these beautiful pictures pictures that set us free from sexualization and professionalization, models of relationships that are so wonderful and so beautiful. And because you have made us your child and adopted us into your family and made us sons and daughters of the king, because you have invited us to share in the work of making disciple-makers to the ends of the earth, Because you, Lord Jesus, are making all things new and that begins with us as you have made us new creations. Lord, may we contend together. May we treat one another in the way that you have already accomplished. And may that be a beautiful picture to our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.